0: Good morning, you know, my wife and I, um, we have seven grown children now, and we talk a lot about, of course, we've just gone through the holidays, what brings our heart so much joy is seeing our children When they're together and they love to be together and they enjoy each other and they hang out and they don't really necessarily want other people to come. They just want to hang out together and love each other. And that is a beautiful thing. And you've seen some of that this morning. The father's heart was blessed. I could feel his heart and his pleasure this morning as his children were loving each other, enjoying each other, and blessing each other. It's beautiful. It is the kingdom of God, and um, the Lord loves it. So thank you for participating. All of you who haven't yet, we're going to call you into some of that today. We're going after covenant community in this body. If you've been here any time at all, you know that. Why are we doing that? Because we believe that's what the Lord wants. Jesus said clearly in His Word, that's what He wants. He created us to be that and to do that. Um, These last couple weeks as I've been praying, as you know, there's lots of stuff going on, swirling around, and I just keep getting this picture in my heart, and I just want to put it out there to you. You know, in a basketball game, when a guy's getting ready to shoot the foul shot, what is the opposing team doing behind the backboard? Right? That's what's... We've got a goal that we're going for. And in this body, we're going to go for that goal because that's what the Lord wants, and we're not going to let the distraction make us fearful, make us upset, fill us with angst and any of that stuff. We're going to keep going, setting our face like a flint to give Jesus what He wants in our life and in this community. So just wanted to let you know that. That's where we're going, okay? If you're all caught up in stuff that's going on now, I'm just encouraging you to still your heart before the Lord. How many would like for the Lord to encounter you this morning with his word? Okay, stand up. <clears throat> if you do, I want you to stretch. I, I'm not saying that I'm going to go long. It is 22 after, and you know how I usually go long. Uh, I might split it in half today. We'll see how merciful the Lord is. <clears throat> but if you would like the Lord to encounter you with his word this morning, I want you to lift your hands. And say, come. So let's just ask Him. Come, Holy Spirit. You are our life. You are the teacher of the church. You are the one who makes Jesus real and manifests Him in our heart and in our midst. And we're asking you to do that right now. So we reach out. We say, come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would impart your word, that you would plant the living seeds of eternity inside of hearts throughout this building and throughout the live stream. Lord, plant living seeds of eternity that will not come back void, but will change and transform perspectives, change mindsets, and transform hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is... Covenant community culture, three C's, covenant community culture. What do we mean when we talk about covenant community? What does that culture look like? That's what we're going to talk about today. We'll start down that road at least, and we'll see how far we get. Um, Culture is fascinating to me. I haven't traveled much abroad. In fact, I never had my passport until my oldest daughter was getting married in the Dominican Republic. And um, we went there. But I have lived in seven different states in my life. And I find the cultural nuances, even within the same country, to be fascinating. Um, if you live in the Northeast, where I lived in New York and in Connecticut, you say, You guys. <laughs> if you live in North Carolina, which I lived after that, what do you say? Y'all. Y'all come. Anybody know what they say in Oklahoma? What do they say? They say Ewins, Ewins. Yeah, that's real. It's interesting. A lot of things. See, culture is the mindset that we have, and things that we really we we rarely question those things. We just accept them. We just keep going in that direction, and if somebody says, how you-ins doing today, you, just, you, don't, you don't think anything about it because that's what you hear and you talk like that. If you live in Massachusetts, you say, what you guys doing, don't poke your car my yard. So, <laughs> is that right? Okay. <clears throat> but we don't question those things. We don't think that that's weird. But here's the danger of culture, is that sometimes there's dysfunctions there that we should question. Because they're not right. They're messed up. So my first, this is actually my second time in the Dominican Republic. This was actually for the wedding itself when we went down there. And we just went down last August to go for another wedding of our son who got married in the Dominican Republic as well. So he, we love our son-in-law Luis so much that Wesley always said, Dad and Mom, we need to have another Dominican in our family. They're so amazing. So he went down and married one. So this is, this is how you have self-fulfilling prophecies. But we got there. We flew down for the wedding. And I immediately found them. I and I knew our culture was going to be somewhat different. But as soon as we got to the airport, I had rented two cars. We had our whole family there, of course. My oldest son, Jace, was driving one. I was driving one. And I began to see right away the culture was different, obviously, the surroundings. But we got the rental cars. <clears throat> and both of them were completely empty with gas from the rental car company. So here, you know they're full, right? You, you fill them up when you go back or they charge you exorbitant amount for the gas to fill them, so you always make sure you fill them when you bring them back. There, literally, they run them down to fumes before they give them to you and this is just the way they do it. It's opposite of us. So we're like, are we, are we gonna be able to get out of the airport? Like this is always below E. And we start driving and sure enough, we got maybe a mile outside of the entrance and my son's car ran out of gas, it's completely out of gas. I'm like, oh, really? Um, so I called up the car people. Oh, no problem, no problem. We'll send somebody up there to, to bring some gas to you because we, we just want to make it to the gas station so we can fill the vehicle up. So we waited and waited, and finally comes a little scooter down the road, and there's two guys on it, and they pull up and they go, oh, we're here from the car company, and he pulls out literally a glass Coke bottle full of gas off of his scooter and says, here it is, pours it in the car, and then they go, you should really pay us for this. I'm like, I'm going to pay you for this. <laughs> they really did want money and wanted a tip. I'm like, seriously, guys? No, that's not going to happen. We made it to the gas station. So we, if you've ever been to the Dominican, and it's not just there, but it's in other countries as well, Juan tells me it's in Costa Rica, but they scooters everywhere, right? <laughs> You didn't even, at that point, didn't even have to have a license, but scooters back and forth. And the crazy thing is, it's not just scooters. It's whole families on a single scooter. They don't have helmets. They don't have licenses. They're going like this. The lines in the DR on the, um, and the traffic uh, regulations are completely optional. You don't have to do those. It's just if you feel like it. So literally, we saw multiple times where there's a dad driving the scooter the mom is behind him there's a little toddler standing in between his legs and she's holding a newborn baby in her arm and they're going down the road like this it's it's insane i'm telling you and i'm i'm going i'm looking at that and i'm going this is crazy um i had ridden a motorcycle there the time before when we were there first meeting his family And that was the most nerve-wracking thing that I've ever done. I I made a vow to God, Lord, you saved my life there. I will never be that stupid again. I will never drive that again. So we get to the gas station with my son's car. His wife at that time, Nicole, was seven months pregnant with their baby. We pull into the gas station. She's in the passenger seat with her seatbelt on. And as soon as we pull in, the guys at the gas station are all agitated, and they come running out, and they're yelling in Spanish. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do what? She can't be in the front seat. That's illegal. If you have a pregnant woman in the front seat, they will give you a ticket. And I'm looking at all these scooters going by. What the <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? Like, you guys have never seen... Those things don't go together. She's in a car with a shoulder harness on, but because she's pregnant, there she's going to get a ticket, but you can hold two infants and have four people on a scooter and it's fine? <laughs> culture. Everybody accepts it. Nobody questions it. This is just why we do it. One of the things that we need to do if we're going to have God's culture in our community is to fish out the things that we have always accepted and never questioned, but that he doesn't like. So let's go there just a little bit. Let me give you a definition of culture moving forward. Culture is a way of thinking, behaving, or working that exists in a place or organization. It involves mindsets, assumptions, and values that we hold in common and reinforce over and over again in many different ways. That's what culture is. We have church culture. One of the one of our jobs, I believe, in the Western world is we need to blow up some of that culture and we need to change it so that it aligns with what the Father said the culture is supposed to be. Okay? So so let's go there just a little bit. Um John chapter 17 is where I'd like to start. We'll see how far we get past this. John 17, I just want to read a few verses here. Um, Let me preface it by saying that John 17, you might be aware of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Literally, after he prays this prayer, they walk out of the house where they're meeting, into the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's going to be crucified, brutally murdered, bear the sin of the world the next day. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all together. They're together that night. Jesus has been teaching, encouraging his disciples, trying to prepare them for the Category 5 hurricane that's about to hit them. And then he lets them. Hear Him pray, because this is important for us to hear what He said as well. Think for a minute. If you were Jesus, you're just getting ready to walk out of the upper room and go to the cross. You know you're going to bear the sin of the world. You know that you were sent for this purpose, that you would die and give your life for the sin of the world. And you're just about to walk out that door and go there. What would be the thing that you would be praying about? ever ponder that this passage to be honest with you I've I've been a student in the Bible for a little while now very seriously and there's passages in the Bible that still shock and awe me and I still try to wrap my brain around them this is one of them be honest with you so what is Jesus praying for right before he's getting ready to walk out and go to the cross verse 20 to 23, let's read those, and I want to make some observations that maybe you haven't picked up because a lot of times you know how we do with Scripture. We just read through it, and then it doesn't really register. Anybody? Okay, so, so let's just think through this just for a minute. Verse 20 to 23, let's read it. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Can you say that's me? That's you and that's me. We believed on Jesus through the word of the apostles as it's passed down through history, right? So he's praying for us here that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be also in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 22, the glory which you have given me, the Father to the Son, I have given to them. Why, Jesus? So that they'll have awesome revival meetings. Come on. Oh, so that they will be one. Just as we, Father and Son, are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that, says it a second time, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This is astonishing. This is astonishing. If it wasn't the Son of God who said this, I would not believe it. Nothing that my eyes have seen over my 40-plus years walking with Jesus confirmed that this is what happens and this is the culture in the church. Let me tell you two things that we just read, okay, just to put them in other words. Number one, that are astonishing realities. Jesus revealed in his prayer that the covenant community of his people is designed to be a living demonstration of the love inside of the Trinity. Did he say that or did I make that up? He said that the church community should be so one that they actually are a living demonstration of what the love inside of the Trinity looks like. Dude, that's a lot different than just being nice people and getting along. You boys get along back there. Stop fussing with each other. It's not like that. There's something profoundly deep that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he's praying this because he knows this is one of the purposes for which he's getting ready to die. Not just to forgive people of their sins, as massive as that is. But he's going to create a community that is so different, that is so connected to God himself, that they are a living demonstration of the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in me and I and you and I and them and I. Dude, that is is astonishing. The second thing that he says, and he says it twice, our ability as the people of God to reveal Jesus to the world is dependent on our oneness. So, if our oneness is very marginal, our ability to reveal Jesus to the world is also marginal. Would you agree? Did I make that up or is that in the text? That's clearly in the text, is it not? So that they may know. That's phenomenal. So this is why covenant community matters. Not because it makes us feel affirmed or feel better and all those things happen inside of it. But it matters because God's eternal purposes are wrapped up in us being that. That's not optional stuff. I have not seen that in my life. Demonstrated only in small part. We've got a lot to grow, and I, well, here's what we want to do. We want to embrace the vision that Jesus gave of what this community is supposed to be like so that we can then say, God, there's no way we can produce this, but you can, and we're setting our face like flint to give you that and to be part of the building of this community that is that living demonstration so that the world may know. All right, stop for just a minute. I want you to think about the relational love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. I want you to think in your own mind how you would explain to somebody what the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would be like. Just think for just a minute. I know that's a tilt. How would you explain to somebody, what is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What, what would that be like? I want to give you um, an explanation from a Bible scholar, theologian named Scott McKnight. Here's how he describes the relationship in the Trinity before creation, and it's always the same. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in an endless dance of endless love and surging joy and delightful play as they enjoy the depth of their love for one another. You ever thought thoughts like that? Think about the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it again. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in an endless dance of endless love and surging joy and delightful play as they enjoy the depth of their love for one another. I like the dance. Because you have to be a participant in a dance. You can't be a spectator or you're not in the dance. Here's what Jesus is saying. Father, when I'm going to the cross, I want a community to be birthed that is so intertwined with you and I in the Holy Spirit, so filled with God and so united with each other that there's an endless dance of love, of delight, of mutual care that fills and overflows them. How many would love to go there? Okay, there's four of us. Praise God. We can start there. This is what he calls us into. If there's an altar call today, it's going to be an altar call that you probably haven't ever experienced before in a Pentecostal church, and that is to come and dance. (laughs) Enter into the dance. He wants us to be part of the dance. But look, we have ways that we operate. We have mindsets that are antithetical to getting there. And we have to root them out. And we have to embrace this as a reality. How many think that Jesus was just spitting out things that had no connection to reality or possibility? That's kind of what we would think. If, if I was to explain this apart from scripture, you'd probably go, dude, what have you been smoking? Even if it's legal now, you shouldn't do that. It doesn't seem real, does it? There's, we, we get little tastes of it, but this is what Jesus died to produce, this community. And he's calling us into it, a covenant community. So I want to give you four unchangeable values, might not get to all of them. Four Unchangeable Values of Biblical Covenant Community, okay? We'll just start there. There's more than four, but these are four of them. Let's just start here and, and, and make a go of it, okay? Here's number one. Everybody in the community must learn to dance. Everybody in the community must learn to dance. Now, I was a child raised in the 1970s. And that's part of the reason I'm as scarred and messed up as I am. Um, those were dark days. Everything was weird then, fashion, all of that. I remember the colors in our house, the predominant colors were bright orange and lime green. Kid you not. Our kitchen counters, our floors, the linoleum in there, bright orange and lime green. All of the rooms in our house had different colored shag carpet that long, multicolored. Anybody? And when you walked on it, your footprint stayed in it. We had a big chair that had a throw on it, and it literally looked like it was plastic, but it looked like gorilla skin. It was totally jet black, and when you sat on it, it prickled you because it was like nylon, but it was, the hair was that long on it. This is just weird stuff. Um, so I was a little bit scarred by just that, but one of the things that happened to me when we lived in North Carolina, when I was about 11 years old, my dad said, you know what? I want my boys to be cultured. So we went to see operas. We did that kind of stuff that our friends laughed at us for. But one of the things he said, I really, you really need to learn how to dance. So we went to a place called Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Anybody ever heard of it? (laughs) Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Well, I'm a little 11-year-old. I have two older brothers. We go there, and here's these four or five college-age girls trying to earn money for college who are there, and they're going to dance with us and teach us how to dance. Oh, my gosh. I was horrified. Come on, get out there. Any, anybody know what dancing in the 70s looked like? It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't like swing dancing. It was just get out there to the music and just go like this. It really, it really was. I mean Anybody know that? So you get out there, and they're playing some kind of and you know you get out there and here's this college age girl I'm a little 11 year old boy I'm terrified and she's like come on this is fun I'm like oh my gosh I want to die right now so that only lasted a few weeks we finally boycotted the whole deal said dad you can bury us in the backyard but like we're not going back there we're not going to do that anymore that was humiliating and honestly, I mean, I tell that story with a joke, but it really did scar me as, a, as an adolescent. I was like, oh, my goodness. The farthest thing from my mind was wanting to be a dancer after that. I was like, I think dance is beautiful. I love it when, when people dance, and they're actually skilled at it, and they do it for the Lord. I think it's very beautiful. So don't, if you're a dancer, don't take this as being a diss to your dancing. It's not at all. But we got to learn to dance. There's a lot of people I know they go, um, I, I can't do that. I'm no good at dancing. I'm just introverted and it's awkward and I feel insecure. And <clears throat> here's the thing God says, Come, connect yourself with me in the dance. And I'm going to connect you with all of these people in this dance. And you're going to see that it's actually beautiful. It's not awkward. It's beautiful. It's life-giving, and it's powerful. Do you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with some of these scriptures, I'm gonna read you just to give you perspective, but Paul talks about, in a number of different places in his letters, when he's speaking of the church community, he talks about how the Trinity is actually working in that community and doing different things there's an active god is always dancing in the community father son and holy spirit working their magic if we can say it that way first corinthians 12 verse 4 through 6 you're going to recognize these verses <clears throat> now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit there are varieties of ministries but the same lord There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. That's Holy Spirit, that's Lord Jesus, and that is Father God working. When Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit working and manifesting himself in the church at Corinth, which, by the way, most Bible scholars believe was a maximum of 75 people, 50 to 75. So it wasn't a huge community. But even in a community that's small, doesn't matter what size, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were working. Holy Spirit's manifesting. The Son's giving out gifts, and the Father is administrating the whole thing, and it's a beautiful dance. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul ends his letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Guys, look, as we close this letter, as dysfunctional as you have been with your divisions and all this stuff, just know this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always dancing in your midst, and they're inviting you into the dance. Come into the dance, because oneness is what comes out of it, and out of real oneness, there's power that comes from heaven. That changes everything. This is why we're going after covenant, community. The Trinity is always at work in the body. Everybody must learn to dance. I want to read this um, to you. So if there's certain things that are foundational pillars of community, of covenant community, because we hold to these values, everything that works against those values, we have to make it illegal. Okay? So if it's real that our oneness together as a people is supposed to be a living demonstration of Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, then there's certain things that are now illegal. Let me just give you a few isolation is illegal now anybody ever see somebody that had lone ranger spirituality they're a superhero but they're totally isolated from the community eh, not possible doesn't ever happen except in somebody's head isolation is illegal spectator church is illegal You can't dance from sitting in a seat on the sidelines. You have to get into the dance. Yeah, but if I do that, people will hurt me, yes. But the Father will heal you, and you will grow and learn how to be a person who demonstrates the love of the God who forgave your wicked darkness. And you'll be an agent of grace, and everywhere that you go, you'll have broken people poking you, but you know you're broken too. So you'll be able to give the grace. Think for me. Think with me for just a minute. Think about the thing that comes to mind, one of the worst things that you've ever done since you've been a believer, the most humiliating that you would be ashamed to stand on this platform and say what you did. How humiliating, how raunchy. Might have been something you did to somebody. Might have been something you did by yourself. Think about that for just a minute. Think about what that thing is. The thing that you would never want to tell anybody in this room that you did. But God knew. And then think about His grace that was extended towards you. When you cried out to Him, when you awakened from your sleep and you said, God, forgive me. Please forgive me. Let the blood of Jesus wash me. Lord, I'm unclean. Wash me. And he washed you. And he cleansed you. He not only forgave you. The Bible says that when we confess our sins, he forgives us for our sins. And he does something else. He cleanses us from all uh, A-double-L, unrighteousness. What does that leave? It leaves Righteousness. Think about the grace that you received. And here's what we do in the community. When other people offend us, we take the grace that we've received from the loving God who's forgiven us over and over again. We kind of get entitled to thinking, well, of course God's gonna forgive me. All I have to do is, yeah, but think about it. He forgave us, washed us clean. We can offer that same grace. We can be carriers and agents of His mercy and of His grace to other people. That's what happens in the dance. You know, I got my Achilles tendon ruptured at the Christmas party here at the church. I was dancing with my brother, Raul, and he came around with his boot and bam, by accident, totally kicked me in the Achilles and ruptured my Achilles tendon. That kind of thing happens when you're dancing. It does happen. But the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are flowing freely throughout the members. Listen, He's calling us into the dance. When You know, Diane and I are um, physical touch people, and so in our home, we've always embarrassed our children um, by hugging, by kissing in public, and that kind of stuff. I know for some of you, you go, ah, okay, get over it. (laughs) So that's the way we are. We always have been that way, and we always did that. And so in our home, if we're in our kitchen and we're hugging or kissing each other, I don't believe there was one of our seven children that did not, at some point, Come and run up and try to wiggle in between us right there. Why? It's a love sandwich. It's a love sandwich. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come on, get in the love sandwich. Come on. You, you know what that does for children? It makes them feel secure. Mommy and Daddy are never going to leave each other. They're not going to leave me. That makes a little... Child's heart glow and burn with joy. There's nothing as a married couple you can do that will bless your children more than to love each other wildly and crazily. That's really true. The Father knows that. Come into the dance. He's inviting us. Isolation is illegal. Spectator church is illegal persistent shallowness in relationships is illegal. I said persistent shallowness. You you can't be deep with everybody, right? We're finite. But what we can do is be moving in a direction with as many members as we possibly can to join, to be close to them. That's illegal now. Being okay with being shallow is not okay. Number 4, I mentioned Lone Ranger spirituality is illegal. I've known people through Bible college. I went to two different Bible colleges, and there's a lot of them there, and I might have been one at some point. I don't know. We think we're just going to get everything that we need from God on our own, in our own prayer closet, and that's a lie. You know why I know it's a lie? He didn't create it to be that way. The body's built up as every joint supplies and so the reality is there's things that you need from God that you cannot get from your prayer closet. Come on, we're talking about blowing up things that don't need to be in our mind. These are wrong mindsets. There's things you cannot get in your Christian life and your Christian growth in your prayer closet alone. It's not possible. It's not possible. Why is it not possible? Not because God's not great enough, but because he doesn't want it to be that way. Because he knows if he doesn't press us into it, we're not going to get in the dance. We're going to sit back in the chair and go, no, God, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll just talk to you later. No, he's like, no. The body of Christ is beautiful and powerful. Can I just read you a quote from Art Katz? How are we doing on time? Is everybody's bottom all right right now? <clears throat> okay. That was probably an awkward way to ask that, but uh, it's already out now. Um, the body of Christ, here's a quote from Marquette. so good, the body of Christ is an eternal masterpiece, hear me, we think of the church as being broken, dysfunctional, terrible, wounding, how many people have you heard that told you, oh, I've never had church wounds, it's probably very few, because most of them, if you have an altar call for church hurt, then it gets like a herd of elephants that come up here, The body of Christ is an eternal masterpiece. And I do not think we have sufficiently appreciated God's intention for it, nor have we shown much of the respect and esteem that the body rightly deserves. We do not esteem Christ and his people, nor do we esteem the variety of God's people with all their inherent differences. We're selective and more responsive and partial to those who are like ourselves. And consequently, we miss seeing the fullness of Christ in His body. The Spirit was never given for us to do great acts that would distinguish us as individuals. He was sent to be the power and enablement for the corporate life together, out of which those acts would then flow. We stand in danger of taking something very holy and making it very commonplace. The body of Christ is holy. It's powerful, and it's beautiful. Come into the dance. Point number two, pillars. Maybe we'll do this too, and then we'll finish here, and then I can pick up next time. Are you okay with that? You guys got 10 minutes? Can you hang in there for a few? All right, number two, building, building, always building. Building. Building, building, always building. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Brandon touched on it when he spoke. But let's just touch on it again. Because this is one of Paul's favorite words when he's talking about the Christian community. is building. It's edification. That's the same word in the Greek. You may not know that. But edification is the Greek word which means to build a house. And so when Paul's talking about how church operates and what it's supposed to be for, it's supposed to be for building, building, always building, building, building. What are we supposed to do today in the body? Building, building, always building. We did some of that this morning. Beautiful. What are we supposed to do when we come to church? Building, building, always building. That's what Paul's saying. That's he, he's like the guy who sings one note. This is it. Christ and what He wants. And what he wants in the church is building, building, always building. Our job description is building, building, always building. That's what we're here to do. We're here to build up the body. How do we build up the body? By building up the members of the body. We give our supply to each other. It builds up the body. Jesus comes in our midst. We all join in the dance together. We actually learn how to love each other. Has there ever been in your lifetime a more fragmented, angry, <coughs> confused, hurt society in America? Wow, the world needs what we have. Yes. Amen. Ephesians 4.16, from whom Jesus, the whole body being fitted And held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Building, building, always building. Since building is an unchangeable value, then we have to get rid of the things that are illegal. Let me read you a couple more verses here. Romans 14 19 it says this so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another that's what we seek Romans 15:2 each of us is to please his neighbor for his good that's counterintuitive to his edification that means building Building, always building. So we're looking for an opportunity. Here's what you know. I'm going to tell you the given every time you gather together. The given is that God has a project for you to build when you come. The unknown is, who is that person? So you have to go to find out. But you know what you're going to do when you get there. Okay, we're getting there. Thank you for the few of you that chipped in. Yeah, we're building, building people, building the members. That's what we're doing. When we come, this is our job number one. Well, I thought we were coming there to worship God. Yes. Is it different? Or is it an extension? If you come to the altar to bring your gift to God and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, worship, go to him, reconcile with your brother, then come back and offer your offering. Why? Because your worship is disconnected when you're disconnected from your brother. Come on, am I preaching? I'm telling you the truth. Building, building, always building. All right? So, since building is an unchangeable value in the covenant community, then at least these two things are illegal. Passivity. You can't just sit back and go, oh, there's that broken person. Oh, Brother Brandon, there's somebody over there and they just need... Okay, you saw it with your eyes and your assignment when you came was... Building, building, always building as your opportunity. You know, lay your hands on people and pray for them. That's, that's the flat things on the end of your arm. You, you can lay your hands on people and pray for them and bless them. Building, but you can speak a word of life and encouragement. You can call out something in them. You can impart something to them. Oh, how about this? you can write them a check. You can check out your wallet. And you can say, honey, how much is your electric bill? I feel impressed of the Lord to help you pay that or give you this $100. Or if you haven't had the experience in your life, and I want to tell you this as earnestly as I can. This is really real. If you haven't had the experience of your life, if you want the word of knowledge to operate in you, you know, we, think we, want, we want to be the man of God with the microphone going up and down the aisle. I mean, stand out in the aisle. Okay, you, you have, you know, this or that. Okay, great. Let me tell you how that starts. This is the best way to start it. Lord, I have this extra $200 in my bank account. Who do you want me to build with that? It's not as spectacular, and you probably can't put it in your newsletter. But you're doing something eternal. And you're building the kingdom in the body of Christ. I want to tell you something. People that you've blessed throughout your life, there's a bond that happens spiritually. I know this to be true because I've seen it over and over again. We had a friend who his business was horse training. He got in an accident. He was great at doing horses. He, he shoot him. He did all this stuff. But he, he, got, he was riding and something happened. His head hit the, the branch on the tree, broke his back, and he was in bad shape and out of work for a long time. You know what the Lord said to me? You're gonna write them a check, not for fifty dollars, but for five thousand dollars. Okay, I'm not, I'm not. Look, everything that we have is from the Lord. I'm using this as an example. This is true and real. This happened probably twenty years ago, maybe. That couple, whenever we see them. There is a bond of the Spirit. Look, I, it's not. It's not you, I didn't buy anything. This is just fellowship. This is what the Bible calls fellowship. You're sharing the life that you have and the supply that you have with somebody else to build them up. Every time we see each other, it's like we've been long lost. friends. Man, how are you doing? Oh, doing really good, you know. Everything's going great. There's a bond in the Spirit. If you want to become close to people, I'm going to tell you, you need to look at how you can build them up. And look at how you can give to them. That creates a bond in them for you. A love and love is action. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us. We know love by this. There's a certain feeling that you have, and it just feels so fuzzy and so good. No, we know love by this: that Jesus laid down His life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives. Not for Him, but for one another. Building. Building. What are you doing at church? Building. Building. Always building. So, passivity is now illegal. You can't just sit on the chair around the dance floor and watch everybody else dance. That's illegal now. Because... Kingdom culture is that we're always, everybody is always building. Each individual part, that includes you and me, causes the growth of the body. All of us are building. And what else is illegal if building is our goal? Tearing down is illegal. God help us. God help us in church culture. Tearing down is illegal. Look down at verse 29 in Ephesians 4. Paul says, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, let no unwholesome word, unwholesome means unhealthy. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only, underline that word only, only, that means this and nothing else, right? Only, such a word as is good for edification, building, building, always building according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do you know one of our largest problems in church culture is that we don't have control of our mouth and we don't know what it's for. We think it's for proving how smart we are and how stupid somebody else is. How successful we are and how unsuccessful they are. We're supposed to use our mouth only only to bring edification and to give grace. Now, do you mean that there's no place for correction? No, we're going to get to that. That's another point. There is a place for correction. There has to be correction in the community. There has to be confrontation. But this is another place where our culture is dysfunctional in the church. We cannot speak words that tear down. You know, the Bible is full of disturbing images at what words can do when they are aimed wrongly. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, right? Paul said, their words spread like gangrene. What does gangrene do? Slow death, right? Just keeps creeping. Their words are like gangrene. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 28. You can take some. They're all through there. The Lord says that the wicked, the mouth of the wicked, pours out. Really, the Hebrew word there means to belch. It's a pretty ugly word. Belches out evil. There's that belching. Ever been around somebody that they just belch constantly after they eat? I'm like, really? It's ugly. And then there's the whisperer. In the book of Proverbs, speaks about it three times. The whisperer. What's the whisperer? Why does he whisper? Because he doesn't want anybody else to hear, but he wants you to hear. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of your being. What does that say? When you hear that kind of gossip, And that kind of tearing down of somebody else, it goes down inside of you and it changes the way that you think. And you come outside of the dance when that person comes close. You go, I'm not going to dance with you because I've heard. And it goes down into your innermost being and it corrupts the culture. Whisper. Did you know? Did you hear? Like wood for the fire of contention are the words of a whisperer. They separate intimate friendships. This is what breaks up the dance. We can build up with our words or we can tear down with our words. You don't have to shout to tear down with your words. All you have to do is whisper. Did you? evil, the Lord hates it, and we should hate it too, because it destroys what He's trying to build, and it is the opposite of building. How many in this room, and I know you can all testify and raise your hand, have received an encouraging word from somebody, and your heart lifted, and you are strengthened? And how many in this room have heard what somebody else said about you, and you felt crushed It's illegal. It's illegal in the community. It's illegal in the community. And we have to hate it the way the Lord hates it. Let no unwholesome word, no unhealthy word proceed from your mouth. Only such a word. As brings edification according to the need of the moment and gives grace to the hearer. So whenever we say something, we need to ask the question, is what I just said going to give grace to the hearer? I'm not quite as good at it as Derek as far as making awkward things happen. Um, But I have done it a few times. And In the early days of Heart of the Father, we were gathered together and it was a married group. And, the you know, like it often happens, the ladies are getting together and talking, fellowship and catching up, and the guys are standing there in their circle and talking. And so the circle that I was standing in, guys, and they started talking and saying, hey, um, just started talking about, yeah, man, my, my wife, she goes out, and she thinks, you know, there's a money tree in her head. She just spends money on everything that she wants and just this kind of stuff and just this kind of stuff like that. And so I stopped and said, hey, um, can I just ask you a question? Like, why would you want to devalue and tear down the greatest gift that God has given you in this life? Like, why would you want to do that? That was crickets on steroids. But I want to tell you what happened. Nobody does that around me anymore. So I've stopped the spread of the gangrene in a little way. You you know what will help if somebody came to you and said, did you know? Stop right there, take their hand and say, let's pray for them right now. Lord, would you bless them? Would you help them? I've been stupider than that a hundred times in my life. Would you just extend your grace to them and would you draw them back? And and let's think together, how can we help them? How can we be a blessing to them? How things would change. We interrupt the dance a thousand times a week and we don't even think about it. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like we're creating this culture where my love flows freely and oneness is going to be a reality and we keep chopping at it with a hatchet. He goes, stop that. Don't do that. All right. We'll save the rest of the points. Can I just ask you? stand with me. Let's just stand together right now. I want to have an altar call at your seat for two things. One, I want to enlist you in the dance. I want you to lay down all your excuses for why you can't and why you don't, why you don't engage in covenant community. And and, and the reality is, if this isn't the body the Lord has called you to, we want you to find that body, because the body of Christ depends on you being where you're supposed to be. You, You hear what I'm saying? We're not trying to manipulate or control anybody. We're not trying to build the numbers here. We're trying to build the body of Christ. And so I'm saying, if you believe that the Lord has called you here, I'm asking you to begin. I know it's terrifying at the beginning to get out there where everybody knows what they're doing in the dance, or at least they think. I'm asking you to sign up in your heart. I want you to take seriously what Jesus said in John 17 and what his heart's desire and prayer is. And I want you to sign up for the dance. And go, well, I'm not going to do that because I've been hurt. I've been hurt in those relationships. I've tried that before and they've stabbed me in the back. I get it. It's not an excuse. Is that what you're going to tell Jesus on judgment day? Lord, I know I disobeyed you my whole life, but I had a good reason. Somehow I don't think that's gonna fly on judgment day. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in that position. Lord, I you know, I know I totally disobeyed you, but like I have a good reason. No, you don't. Because his grace overcomes every reason that you put on the table. He goes, My grace is greater than that. I died. I bore the sin of the world. I bore your sin as well as theirs. No, I can do anything. Well, you you just need to get in the you need to get in the love sandwich. Come on, you do. You need to get in the love sandwich. So I want you to sign up in a deeper way. If you've already signed up in your heart, I'm not talking about on paper. I'm talking about in your heart. I want you to sign up. Say, Lord, yes. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be part of that dance. And if I get my foot stepped on or my Achilles tendon ruptured, we're going to keep dancing. No matter what, we're going to keep dancing. And I want you to, if need be, I want you to repent. I want you to repent in your heart for tearing down, for using your words. To destroy. If you've been a whisperer, I want you to repent to the Lord. If you haven't used your words rightly for what they were made for to build up. I'm asking you to repent before the Lord and to change by his grace. I want you to become an agent of his grace. And I want us as a community to move forward. What we're trying to do, can you see what we're trying to do? We're trying to to create mindsets that correspond to what Jesus wants. We have to think like he thinks. And the stuff that he hates, we have to eject from our life. That's what I'm asking you to do. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would convict every heart in this room including mine that you would give us greater grace to engage to not to be afraid of being hurt not to be afraid of what might happen and so we try to take the safe way which is not safe but i pray that you would give us grace and you would give us strength to be all in with what you are all in with Lord, would you build? I know you're building this community and I feel your your pleasure and your breath. But God, would you bring us to another level? Would you, each of us here, would you take us to a higher level, to a deeper level where we would not make excuses anymore, but that we would say, okay, I have a purpose. I was created with a supply that I must give and I've got to be part of that building process. And I'm going to enter into that dance and I'm not going to tear down. I'm going to build up and I'm going to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Father, forgive us for cursing one another. Forgive us for tearing down with our words. Forgive us for not using our words for what you gave them for, which is to build up. I pray that you would change the atmosphere in the community. And I pray that you would make us agents of your grace in this place. That you would come and inhabit this place. And Father, what happened this morning, that you would multiply it 10,000 times that every member would be ministering the life that they have to others, and the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son would be out in this whole building, dancing from one side to the other, and your presence would flow freely like a river, and we would be caught up into it, and you would have your way and do all the things that we've cried out to you for generations even to do, but yet we've hindered you from because we haven't allowed ourselves to be part of creating that atmosphere. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, would you continue to deal with our hearts? I pray, Lord, that you would not let us forget, but that you would make us actually agents of your kingdom and agents of Christ, that you would build us into the beautiful, beautiful, exquisite, amazing body of Christ that you died for. Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, you say amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. All right, you guys. Bless you. Thank you for being patient, hanging in there. Hope you have a great day and a great week. Start dancing. Praise God.